Uh, get your Bibles out open to 1 Corinthians. We're going to get back to 1 Corinthians in a few minutes. So you can go ahead and go there. Uh, it's a new year. New opportunities. It's a time for us to, uh, at the beginning of the year, I always say that, you know, we need to reflect. We need to examine. We need to evaluate. We should take inventory. And also, it's important that we anticipate. So, in that vein, as, uh, as I've been praying about the things that God has for us as a fellowship in this coming year and the exciting things that God has in store and what few things I might say to you, I think I would ask you this question this morning. What's the greatest blessing in your life? I know that uh, certainly some of you would say becoming a parent or becoming a grandparent or your family or who knows lots of different things you might say. But the greatest blessing in your life is when you hear from God. It's the greatest blessing. When he speaks to you. And when you're reminded that God has created you for close fellowship, for friendship with him. When you realize that it's those moments in the course of life. I, I thought about all the moments in 2021 when God just reminded me that he wasn't playing hide and seek. That he's available, that he's with me, that he's close to me, that he loves me. Those are the most valuable blessings in my life. And that his will is to be present with us. That's his will. He, he's with us. He's with you every day. He created you for himself. And he's faithful and he's good. And he follows through even when we don't. And so with that in mind, as we look to this new year, I want us to go ahead and get your listening guide out. I want you to think about this. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians. Just be patient. Worship is an expression of identity. We're moving into a section of 1 Corinthians that is going to be not extraordinarily, excruciatingly controversial and uh, technical and difficult in some ways for some of you. And I think what God wants us to understand before we go into those things, I want you to really think this through, how... God has used this book to teach us about the importance of identity. And I want you to think about how God's gone to great lengths, great lengths, to make clear His desires to His people. Like for us, to us. He's made it clear. And so the danger is half-hearted worship. That's the danger. So the, the danger is not no worship. That's not the danger 
is half-hearted worship. The stakes are high when it comes to what happens when we come into this building. You see, the church is Christ's instrument to form our identity. And so, so much of what happens when we're together is formative to who we understand ourselves to be. And so, the way we come to know that we're loved by God, that we're united by faith, that we're bound to one another in hope, the way we come to know those things is by being together. And so we have to be careful that our hearts don't get infiltrated by other affections. The warning is the, the warning of a man who marries the love of his life. And after the honeymoon ends, the progression of normal day in, day out life begins. And then his eyes slowly begin to drift away from his bride to other women, to other things. And, and he doesn't leave his wife. He remains outwardly faithful and devoted. Legally and physically, he's married. But his affections and desires for other things betray his commitment to his wife on a daily basis. Sort of like the, I'm not endorsing it by any means, I haven't seen it, but I know it's goofy, but I've seen the commercials. There's a TV show about, it's called uh, 90 Day Fiance. It's a, it's a TV show about fruitcakes, really, but what they do is they, it's about people who get married just so that they can get U.S. citizenship. Churches are filled with people who come to church so they can get citizenship in heaven. It won't work. It won't work. This is why the Bible says, narrow is the gate and difficult the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Few. So let, let's be, let's be sober-minded, okay, about these things. See, what we do matters, but why we do it matters more. It matters more. It's good. It's good that you're here this morning. It's good that we're here. It's good that we do the things we do. But you know what really matters to God? Why are you here? Why did you come here this morning? It's good that you read your Bible, but God wants to know, why do you do that? What's your motivation? I want you to consider a few verses I'm going to put on the screen. This comes from the fifth chapter of Ecclesiastes. The Bible says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Here's what I want you to realize. Every single time we're together, there's the potential 
for every life in the room to be changed forever. That potential is there. And then for our lives to change other lives. And we have to ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that we can just, you know, get up in the morning and scramble around and go through our normal procedure and then just rush on in here and start singing and worship an infinitely holy God? You really think that's how this works? You think he just accepts that? You know? Think about it. You know, we, we come flaming in the door at the last minute or ten minutes late, half on fire. Now, now listen, it's, it's a double-edged sword here because some of you need some correction right now. So when somebody walks in the door 10 minutes late, be careful. We have nurses and other people in this congregation that work all night and come to church on Sunday mornings with no sleep, straight from work, and they can't get here faster than they do, and they come in. Because, see, here's what matters. It really doesn't matter what you think. Here, here's what matters. So, so understand. To whom much is given, much is expected. And so if you have the opportunity to prepare yourself for worship and you don't, shame on you. You know, the, the mom who you know, finally gets everybody dressed and in the car and she comes to church by herself. As soon as she walks in the door, little Johnny throws up on her. But she gets in here. You know, her blouse is all wet, and, but she's in here. That makes God smile. But your stiff neck does not make God smile. So be careful. The Bible says we, that we're to draw near to hear. You see that? We, we're here to, why are we here? We're drawing near for what reason? To hear. We're not here, we're, we're not here to entertain ourselves. We're not here to, we want to hear from God. Because if we're not careful, what, pretty soon what that verse says is we won't even realize that what we're doing is evil. You know you can come in here and what you do is evil? And you can look just fine to everybody else in the room. And what you're doing is evil. The verse goes on to say, do not be rash with your mouth. And let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. See, don't be rash. Don't be... Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a rush. Be prepared. It's interesting to me that nobody's ever watching the clock on the golf course. They're never watching the clock 
during the ball game. But they're watching the clock during the sermon. Isn't that interesting? I used to take note of, for all those years when Lisa owned a salon, how women would sit with all these chemicals and stuff on their hair for hours and gladly do hours. They wouldn't complain. They wouldn't fuss. They wouldn't have to get up and go and do this and do that. And yet, in church, they couldn't handle it. See, for a dream comes through much activity. And a fool's voice is known by as many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. See, don't, don't be careful because what happens, you come to church and you hear things that convicts you and you make, you, you make vows in your heart about things you're going to do and then you don't follow through. And you think that you just forgot or you didn't do it. Or, but listen, it's not a joke. When God speaks to you, there's weight in that. Don't make a commitment to God that you don't fully intend to keep. And then don't make a commitment to God because you're not sure you can keep it if you know that He's calling you to do it. The, the, the proper heart response is to re just respond. I always say that it doesn't matter what God says to me. The answer is always yes. It's just yes. I, I, if He tells me to pack up my family and move to Iran tomorrow... This is the last time you're going to see me. That, that's just the truth. So let's remember as we go into this new year. God never overlooks our motives. And as we study through this section of 1 Corinthians, let's understand that all of these sermons for the next little while are all going to be addressing what we do as a family when we come together. So look at 1 Corinthians 11, page 1319 in the Pew Bible in front of you. You're definitely going to have to follow along or else you're going to be thinking, what in the heck is going on? And is that even really in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Then here we go. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I've delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Verse 6, for if a woman is not covered, let her then be shorn or shaved, but if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, 
Let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is there man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, now that you would give us ears to hear that we might receive with gladness and joy the things that you say, not because of what you say, but because of who you are. And we are grateful to be able to hear your voice, to have your word, to possess this perfect and errant gift that you've given us. And so, Lord, now we pray for clarity. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to just impart your word to our hearts that we might receive them and then follow them with obedience and courage, and it would all be for your glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, for those of you that don't know what Y2K is, maybe, you know, when you're texting each other, you don't use words and you use emojis. So, if you're on your way home from church and somebody missed church and they text you today and they say, hey, what was the sermon about, you can just send them that. Put your seatbelt on. It's definitely a hot potato. So what is all of this about? Okay? All right, first of all, whenever it comes to a biblical interpretation, the, the, the gold standard rule is always to understand what the passage is teaching before you're deriving application. Because if you get that out of order, you are going to get way confused. And a number of you in the room have been falsely indoctrinated about a lot of things that somebody used this passage to falsely indoctrinate you on. And the way that they did it was by... Making application where there was not room for application. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what is Paul trying to communicate in 1 Corinthians 11? What is this passage about? Is it about the way we dress? Is it about the way we, we look? Is it about, what is it about? And the answer is, this passage is about Authority. It's about submission to authority. And so any, listen, any application derived from this passage that does not pertain to submission to authority is false. 
Because that is what this is about. Now let me show you. All right, you got your listening, guys? Number one, different is, first of all, good. It is good. God created two genders for our blessing. Amen? That's why he did that. Now, now listen. He didn't create He didn't create one for the blessing of the other. He created each for the blessing of each other. That's what it's for. The reason that there is two genders in creation is so that one can bless the other and the other can bless the one that they're 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 to be a blessing. Right? Who in the world wants to live on an earth where there's only one gender? Not Tony. I have zero interest in that. It would be a nightmare. I thought about all the ways the world would be dysfunctional if there was only men, and I don't have time to get into it, but you can imagine it would be lots. So, Men and women, these are things we need to really understand. This is very much under attack right now, and you can see why. It's important to God. Men and women are equal, but they're not equivalent. They're equal, but not equivalent. Equal, but different in shape, obviously. Equal, but different in function. So equal in importance, different in function. One is not more important than the other. It's like if, if you're flying in a plane and someone says, okay, what's more important, the wing or the engine? Really? I mean, either way, we got to have them both, right? So they're different in function, but they're equal in importance. Apart from either one of them, we're going to die. But they don't function the same. They're different. So look at verse 12, for example. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? And a lot of people get twisted up because, you know, yes, you have Eve coming from Adam. And so people start thinking, well, you see, Adam's more important because Eve comes from Adam. And what Paul says is, time out, Charlie. Who'd you come from? Yo mama. You got that? That's what the Bible's saying. Straighten out your thinking. You know, uh, in the months that we've been away from 1 Corinthians, I've been voraciously reading and studying because it's taken probably triple the amount of work and preparation for these next few chapters that it would normally take. And I really tried to give this passage to Matt or Brian because I thought that would be enjoyable. But I couldn't do it. I, I love them too much to do that. So you see, here, here's the thing. Since that's the case, since every, since every man is born of a woman, then it makes it impossible to say that Women are in any way inferior to men. Now, the question that comes up is, and it's amazing how much confusion there is out there about this within the Christian community. There's a lot of people that believe, have been taught, 
that the gender differences are a result of the fall. No, that is clearly not true. The gender differences are given to us to model God's relationship with Himself within the context of the Trinity. See, let me, let me explain this to you. So we serve a God who's one God, three persons. Each member of the Trinity is unique, yet they're all equally God. Now that's sort of the concept you have to have when you start thinking about creation and male and female. Nobody's more important than the other. Now you can see that, for example, in what the Bible says in Genesis 3.16. So because of the fall, this is the consequence of the fall. God says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Okay? Now what does that tell us? The curse of sin caused what? It didn't create differences between male and female. What it did was it, it twisted what God originally intended. So now women become over-dependent on men. And men have a tendency to lord over women. That is a consequence of the fall. Not gender differences. See, the, there's a difference in consequence. And the reason that after the fall, God pronounced a curse on the woman and a curse on the man, and they're two different curses. The reason there's different consequences is because there were different functions prior to the consequences. Because they're different people. They're different. Otherwise, it would just be the same. Have you ever thought about that? And it's not the same because we're not the same. So see, we need to take heart in the fact that if men and women are created by God to be different, then it must be good. Because in creation, everything God created was good. And so the fact that He created male and female tells us that in that creation, it's good. Now, just because in the past men have exploited the differences, and so what's happening today is that we're, we're recoiling and overcompensating in the wrong direction. And here's the thing. I'm not, some of you will be shocked to hear this, but when you really understand what the Bible teaches, you start to realize that some of the things that, that proponents of feminism promote are biblical some of them because culture has so skewed this and so bent this and and it's been so abused in the past this has a lot to do with identity we need to understand listen God made us male and female he identified us our identity is not ours to form. You understand that? It's not. It's been formed for us and it's been given to us as a gift from our Creator. And we need to embrace that and we need to realize that that, that has always been an issue. It will always be an issue because 
God did this so Satan works against it. And that's why there's so much confusion today around the issue of gender. So not only is different good, but number two, different is intentional. It's intentional. See, God didn't just make us different because it was good, but He did it intentionally for a reason, for a purpose. He made us different to be different, to function differently, and to grow differently, to operate differently, to relate differently. So see, if that's the case, it would only make sense that we would have different roles. The problem is, the reason we struggle with this so bad is because we're so sinful. That's why we struggle so bad with this issue. So when it comes to our differences and our gender... Beauty is to express and embrace our differences. Sin is to exploit or exclude our differences. You see, we live in a world where sin has broken everything down. And nowhere has it been more broken down than with regard to gender, right? Now... If we live in a world where gender is broken down, what is the, where does the Bible call His people to redeem gender? Two places. In marriage and in the church. And the reason for those two is because, as you all know, those two are linked biblically, right? One is a reflection of the other. And so those two places are interlocked and reflect one another. And so those are the two places where we're called to redeem gender. And so here's here's what I'm saying. So if you look at this passage, because I know it was even hard to read because I I know what so many of you are thinking. And it, it hurts me to know that you're thinking the things that you're thinking. And I just get it. But it's just because of the brokenness in the room. If you think that this passage is saying that women are to submit to men, you are wrong. You're wrong. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that men and women are to submit to God. That's what it's teaching. And you have to understand that. That just because there are parts of things, don't assume that that's the whole. You see, under God, men have to do something that they don't want to do. Submit. Under God, women have to do something that they don't want to do. Submit. We do it differently. We submit differently, but it's the same thing. It's submitting. See, it's equal, but not equivalent. Notice verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. You see that? You see that? It's very clear. This isn't a one-sided passage of Scripture. 
This is a passage where the Bible is teaching men how to submit and women how to submit and how this is supposed to look and function in the context in which Paul is writing it. And so what we need to realize is that I know that for so long so much has been so misused and abused and caused so many problems. It is sin to confuse role with rank. That's a sin. Role. Here's what men need to understand. Your role, my role, is not about rank. It's about responsibility. And there's a big difference. See, if you think because you were born a man, you have more stripes on your sleeve than women, that's the problem right there. That's the problem. A biblical man is one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, and leads courageously. Now, that's on the back of your handout, so you don't need to write that down. It's, I put it in one of the questions for you. But that is what a biblical man is. That's who God calls us to be. And that's not lording over anyone. See, notice, look, look, at, look back at verse 10. It's interesting for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, which everybody gets tangled up on, because of the angels. Now, what, what, what does that mean? What do you mean, because of the angels? Well, first of all, what about the angels? What's the big, what, what is the central, uh, you know, consequence that we face every day of our lives with regards to angels. There was a fraction among the angels. And so we face spiritual warfare every single day because of that fraction. There are angels who defected and are now uh, united against everything that God stands for, Right? And what was the fraction amongst the angels over? Authority. Don't you understand? Authority. They didn't want to be under God's authority, and so look at what happened. Now, Paul says, well, because of the angels. Now, what about the, what about the angels now? Well, the angels now, when we're together, when we're worshiping God, the Bible says that they're observing what we're doing. Now, why are they observing what we're doing? Why would they be interested in the way that we worship God? Why would angels be interested in the way that we approach worship? Why would angels care whether we just ran in here without a second thought and just sang a bunch of songs and went through the motions? Or why would angels be observant and care whether or not our hearts were right and our motives were right and we took things seriously and we wanted to hear from God? Why would angels care about that? Because they do. Why? 
Because they know that the Bible says one day we, men and women, are going to rule over angels. And they don't want anyone ruling over them who doesn't understand authority because they've already faced the disastrous effects of not understanding authority. It matters. They care. The heavenly realm pays attention to how you worship. Amen. Verse 4 and 5. Every man praying and prophesying, having his head covers, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers, uncovered dishonors her head for that is one in the same as if her head were shaved. Now, so what are we supposed to discern from this passage that we're, we, you know, that you're all you ladies are making a mistake by coming in here without your heads covered or, you know, and then shaving heads and this and that and all this stuff? Remember what I said in the beginning? If you make application apart from authority you're 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 going to get into heresy think about it how many people have been tangled up in all sorts of ridiculousness because they took 1 Corinthians 11 and just said well then this is what we're supposed to do i mean there's there's Whole churches and denominations of people that today will come in and, and women are wearing head coverings. And they believe that this, this passage is instructive about how men ought to wear their hair. You think that's what this is about? See, first of all, it's clear as a bell in the passage. Who, who in the passage is praying and prophesying? Just men or men and women? It's clear as a bell. Men and women are participating in worship. Now understand the context. Prior to the New Testament, the, the Jews who converted to Christianity when the Holy Spirit came, listen, what, their entire life, they've been excluded from worship. A Jewish woman couldn't even come into the temple. They had to watch through a veil. They were second-class citizens. Now, through Christ, they've been ushered in as, as co-heirs in Christ for the first time. And so they're coming into worship, and they're like, all this is new and exciting to them. And so they're just, you know, they're trying to figure out how to do this. How do the, We're going to get into gifts and all these things that are going on. So they're trying to sort out, how do we do this? How do we, how do we come in? And there's all these cultural stigmas that have been applied to certain things. And just because now the, the new covenant is in place and people are, are able to do things in a new and wonderful way doesn't mean that the culture outside that's watching what goes on on the inside is still not seeing through the understanding of the culture in which they live. Right? Okay, so look. In this culture, let me explain this to you. In this culture, a woman 
with her hair down or her head uncovered was reserved, would only be seen that way by her husband. Okay? That's in the culture. That's not in our culture today. That's in this culture. So, that was a, a, a big issue of modesty. Jews today still do the same thing. So that's the only way that, they, that you would, the only person who would see you that way is your husband. So what happened is all of a sudden, they're able to come into church and pray and prophesy and do all these things that they've never been able to do before. So what they did was they just started doing the same thing the men were doing. And that's what Paul's dealing with. He's like, oh, time out. You can't just come in and take your head covering off and let your hair down. like Because you know what? The world out there is watching. And when you let your hair down in public, you're symbolizing that you're available. And you're not available. You're married. So understand, the equivalent would be if women were coming into church today. And as they came into church, they were taking off their wedding rings. If husbands were taking off their wedding rings when they came to church, they would be, they would be presenting something dishonest and inappropriate. You see? And so a woman in public with an uncovered head or hair down would, would walk, walking around would instantly be noted as a prostitute. And Paul's saying, we don't, that, no, don't do so let, can I go on record and say, we don't do anything at Michael Memorial that might indicate to anybody that you or anybody else might be a prostitute. Okay? Are we clear? Just making sure. See, he's saying, Paul is saying, do not... Dress in a way or act in a way or do anything at church that denies the beauty of God's distinction in creation. You got that? Yes. That's what this whole passage is about. Let's don't get ourselves all... It's just unfortunate. That's all I can say. It's just unfortunate what's happened to so many people. That, you know, these things have shaped, they've taken these things and then twisted them around. And, you know, listen, you, you might, uh, anyway, we, we don't have time. I could talk about this forever. The third thing is, so different is good, it's intentional, and it's reflective. It's reflective. Reflective. Now, here's what I mean. Back in verse 3, this is where this, so it's from start to finish reflective. And we get this when we see how verse 3 is put together. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That is a very, and so what, he's, what Paul does in verse 3 is he lays out this, this statement to protect the Corinthians from doing what so many people today have done with this passage. That statement just sets the bar. Like you can't tangle this up. 
You're different, but one's not better or more valuable than the other. One's not superior to the other. Because, look, he says, and the head of Christ is God. Now, here's the, here's the lie. The lie that so many people have believed is that if we don't do the same thing, we're not equal in value. Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I know none of you know about this, probably don't care about this, but it's the truth. You know, we are a Southern Baptist church. I don't know if I will pastor a Southern Baptist church five years from now. I might. I might not. Because of what's happening right now with regards to this issue. It's a big deal. And it's causing terrible, terrible consequences. Because people just are blinded. You see, it, when you start to think, because I can't do what you do, I'm less than you. Which is how we've ended up in the disaster that we are, even in conservative denominations. Where now, you know, women are, are functioning in roles that are regarded for uh, males only, and males are submitting to uh, situations. I mean, it's just a big mess, and, and it's wrong. And so rather than just get all into all sorts of different nuances, which I think wouldn't be a good use of our time, I want you to understand it this way, okay? The reflective nature of gender. This is what I want you to understand. Jesus was in every way equal. And yet he willingly chose to take a role of submission, didn't he? Now my question is, did that reduce his dignity? Did it make him less than? You see how tangled up we've gotten? That just because... Men do certain things and women do certain things. People have gotten all tangled up. No, no, if, if I have to, you can't say that one has to submit to the other. Hold on a second. Why not? Because it, it, that, that is a, you're, you're, you're saying, you're, you're attacking my dignity. Okay, well, did it attack Jesus' dignity? Did it make him less than when he submitted to the Father? See, according to the Bible, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is identical to what Paul is presenting here, that the relationship in the church needs to be between male and female. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. I want you to think about something, about the, how the Trinity interacts with each other. For example, uh, you have a, a concentric circle of mutual submission within the and delight and others focus within the Trinity. So for example, the Father says of the Son, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And then the Son says, It's better for you that I go away 
so that the Holy Spirit would come. See, the Father elevates the Son, then the Son elevates the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit says, when I come, I'm going to remind you of all the things that the Son said to you. They're all elevating the other. You see that? That's how the Trinity operates. So understand something. Jesus' willingness to submit himself is not an expression of his weakness. It's an expression of his greatness. So see, how can people go into churches and celebrate the victory won by the submission of Jesus and then refuse to submit because it makes them weak? You see that? You can't do that. That's error. That is error. Have you ever heard people say things like, Women shouldn't be pastors because they're not good leaders. Women shouldn't be pastors because they're not strong enough or decisive enough or whatever the case may be. That's wrong. You should never say that. Who are you to slander God's beauty in gender differences. Women aren't to be pastors because God said so. Period. There's no, you don't, there's no commentary. You and me don't, don't make commentary about why that, because God said it. That's why. See, Jesus emptied himself to become our Savior. Was that because he wasn't strong enough? Because that was, is the reason Jesus is the one that submitted to the Father? Is it because he wasn't as decisive as the Father? He wasn't as good of a leader as the Holy Spirit? Is that why? Come on. What the Bible says is because he was willing. To submit, he therefore has the name above every name. You see, when we willfully and joyfully submit to one another, when we get this right, when men Lead, not because we want to, but because we have to. You see, if you, if you want to lead, if you, if you think that because you're a man, God made you to, to rule over your wife, that's the opposite of what the Bible says. Did God the Father rule over Jesus? Did he? No, he did not. See, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So we're responsible, men. And I'm going to tell you, 
If you're honest, then you agree with what I'm about to say, and that is that there's a whole lot of times I don't want to be responsible. I wish somebody else could be responsible. I get tired of being responsible. And so I'm so thankful that most of the times in my life and in my marriage, I can have a conversation with my wife and we can mutually come to an agreement on something, and I'm so grateful. But there's those times where we're not in agreement or we're not sure. And you know what Lisa always says to me in those moments? She looks at me and says, tell me what you want me to do. I hate that. I hate it. Because I know that the next thing that I say, I'm responsible for the outcome. And that's a terrifying thing. I'm not running around going, hey, look at me, I'm in charge. Man, no. And it's the same way in the church. You know how many days that I wish that I could just switch places with you I could just be like you I could just sit out there and just bask in whatever God's saying take it in just serve God in this place use my spiritual gifts in this place and not have to carry the weight not have to bear the responsibility. You think I like that? You think I am glad this morning that the Bible says that I'm going to give account for every single sheep? Hmm? I wish so many times I could run away. I do. But I can't. Not because I want to, but because God said. See? So I, I willfully submit to him, though it is truthful, that it's sometimes reluctantly, but still I do. And it's the same way with us, isn't it? That this passage is saying that when we come into this place, we model ourselves. We relate to authority the way the Trinity models authority. That we submit the way Christ submitted. Look, Paul says all of this exactly in Philippians 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 100% God, 100% did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. 
He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God, see, therefore, because he submitted, therefore, the result of that is God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to understand something. That's the power of submission. So you know... Whether you're a man or a woman, when you submit to spiritual authority, the way God has prescribed it, when you honor Him in that way, the result is God will exalt you. He will exalt you. It honors Him in a tremendous way. When we take responsibilities for the things that God's called us to. And when we celebrate the fact that they're different. So what that means is, that means that. Men should never domineer or lord over their wives. Ever. But they should serve them in such a way that honors Christ and creates an environment where women would feel blessed to be able to honor Christ in the way that they respond to the leadership of their husband. But, but not just that, but when we come into this place that we we mutually submit to each other, which means this. See, we're going to go into all of these implications in the weeks that come. We're going to talk about spiritual giftedness. We're going to talk about all sorts of different topics. And here's what you need to understand. What God's saying to you this morning is He's saying, Now, this isn't just this, this isn't about this whole passage isn't about the role of husbands and wives. This is about the role of men and women in the church. What's your role? This morning in this fellowship. What's your role? What role do you play when we gather in the advancement of this kingdom? What role do you play? Mutual submission. Listen, if you come in here every Sunday... And you think the blessing is that we get to see your presence. Read Ecclesiastes 5. Who is being able to draw closer to God? Who is being able to move closer to the identity that God has given them because of your role. See, there are people right now watching your kids 
They play that role so that you can draw closer to God. What's your role? What door do you hold open and greet? What area of service do you perform? What class do you teach? What, what, what do you do? It can't, you can't come in here and it's only about you. That is not worship. God's saying in this passage, you cannot worship me apart from mutual submission. Which means you have to willfully and joyfully submit yourself to God's authority to put other people before you. We're not all here just so that you have something to do on Sunday mornings. Now, here's what we got to realize, okay? It's a new year. It's the first Sunday of a new year. This is what I think God wants me to leave you with and we'll be done. Let's realize what's at stake when we come onto this property, when we come into this facility. If we're willing to submit to one another in Christ, then the days with the greatest potential in 2022 are the days we gather as a family. God's going to do a lot of things in a lot of people's lives. And He's going to do a lot of things in your life at your house and amongst your family and maybe with you through your job and other things. But the greatest potential, according to the Bible, for spiritual growth and transformation in the coming year are the times that we gather together. So let's be very careful about how we come together. And let's make sure that we do so under the spiritual authority, all of us that God has placed us under. Amen?